It's in the 119th Psalm and the 89th passage. Forever, O Lord, is your word firmly fixed in heaven. Forever, O Lord, is your word firmly fixed in heaven. Now that fixed comes from the ESV. My King James Bible says settled. Forever, O Lord, is your word settled in heaven. And just for the sake of, of, of me, because that's how I memorize it, I'd like to, for us together to learn that Bible verse. And I, only, I don't want to learn uh, all of the 119th Psalm, there's so much of it, but the, the verse I want to look at is, Forever, O Lord, is your word settled in heaven. God's word is settled. Now, what does it mean to be settled? Well, it means to be fixed. That's why our ESV people put it in there. But it also means it's unshakable and unmovable. God's word is settled in heaven, and no matter what man does, no matter what man says, no matter what society does, God's word stands true in heaven. And God, God will call us or require uh, of all mankind what he says. Why? Because it's settled in heaven. Say, well, people change their minds. They're not God. Well, society changes. They're not God. Things are different now. They're not God. God's word is forever settled in heaven. What he says is what he means and what he requires. And so as we look through this, please understand God's word is settled. You know, I I won't have you turn there again because in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 6, God says this. His word is an anchor for the soul. His word is an anchor for the soul. It holds us firm. We're not really part of a great maritime society today, but they were in biblical days. And when they set an anchor, they they needed to hold the ship firm. It had to hold fixed. If you'll read Paul's account in the book of Acts, they threw out anchors to hold the ship he was on. Why? Because it was being dragged to and fro and in danger of being crashed in the rock. So as they fixed anchors, it settled the ship where it was. And God's word is to settle the Christian where they are. So they're unmovable, always fixed upon the word of God. Our earliest, uh, our word Bible is a kind of an interesting uh, term. It really comes um, into our English language from the French that went through the Greek. <laughs> kind of interesting. But the, uh, the word was really, uh, the Greek word biblios is for, uh, it, it's originally given the name of the outer covering of uh, parchment that was used to write uh, the Bible itself, the outer covering. And uh, through the years, through the generations, this papyrus reed uh, became known as the Christian to the Christians as Bible, a Biblos, Bible. And so the early Christians adopted that word uh, to describe their sacred writings, Bible. And that's what we have today, the Bible. It's not any book. It's the book for the Christian. I, I have opportunity, and I read many, many things. I, I enjoy reading. I don't read, uh, I've read through some of the classics and things, but I enjoy reading all kinds of material. I just love to do that. I love to listen to the Bible as it's, it's, it's read. Uh, I love to listen to other books as they're read. But God's Word is the book that I'm interested in. The rest of them, I may gain some knowledge. It may be entertaining, whatever it whatever the case may be, but the word of God fixes the soul. Those other books can modify behavior, perhaps, but only God's word will fix the soul. 
So when we go through this, we want to look together at the sufficiency of the word of God. I hope that you realize uh, we'll be turning to various chapters and passages of different books, but the earliest Bibles did not have chapter and verse divisions. Uh, they did not have that at all. As a matter of fact, it did not come into being till about, say, the early 15 or the mid 1500s is when chapter divisions were added to the to the Bible. I'm thankful for that, aren't you? Just imagine every Sunday morning, Doctor Clark would get up here and he'd say, uh, "Please turn with me to the scroll of Isaiah," and he'd begin reading in Isaiah, 66 chapters, and and it'd be okay if the verse he was looking for was in chapter two, but when you read all the way through to find the verse, why? There's no chapter divisions. There's no verse divisions. We have God's word given to us as simple as possible. And yet, sometimes we neglect uh, to read it. So let's look at God's word together. And please make an opportunity, or have the opportunity, to turn to some passages with me. First of all, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 1 and realize that the Bible, God's word, is uniquely a revelation from God to men. Uniquely a revelation from God to men. Now these verses are not foreign to you. You've heard them, you know them, but I just want to bring you a pure mind by, back by way of remembrance. God's word to us is a unique revelation of God to men from what God wants us to know. In the book of Hebrews, notice, God who in different times and in different manners spoke in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, has spoken unto us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made time and space. He he created everything. So the Bible has been given to us by God. God spoke through the prophets, and lastly through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, using the prophets, to give us his written revelation. It's the only book that he has ever, ever written, and it's forever settled in heaven. It's fixed. That's it. He wrote it. It's placed there. It's not going to change. Over the generations, we've had many revised-type Bibles, the ESV, the NASV, the you, know, you, you name it, they're out there, these types of Bibles. But God's Word says very plainly that he wrote... His word, and his word is fixed in heaven. He's not revising anything. He's not changing anything. What he wrote, what he said, he wrote, and what he writes is what he said to all of us. Recognize God's word is settled in heaven. Further than that, it's given by inspiration. God used men of God. Turn with me, please, to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. God used men of God to write his word, but they wrote the spoken word of God that we have within our hands. The Bible is God's spoken word in print. It's what he said that was penned by penmen, which we'll see in just a moment. But I want you to notice it's it's his spoken word. We're in the book of uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and look with me please at verse 16. 2 Timothy 3.16, very familiar passage to you. All scripture, all the word of God, every part of it is given by inspiration of God. The word theos, God, breathe it. It came from the breath of his lips. When he spoke, those words that went out came directly from him. And notice, 
It is what he wants us to know, those people who have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. He he has given to us because they're profitable. That is, they bring results. For what? For reproof, for for correction, for instruction in righteousness. If, If everything you thought was right, you just didn't, it would be okay, there's a problem, isn't there? Because sometimes we think of things that aren't exactly right. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. You do something and this utter collapse, utter failure. Uh, You fail miserably and abominably. And you think, well, at the time, I thought it was a good idea. Well, at the time, it may have been, but that's your thinking. But God's thinking is always good. It's always right. It's always perfect, and it will always work. Not necessarily the way you think it should, but it always works. Why? Because it came from him. And it's, it, it causes us to grow. It, it gives us instruction in righteousness, how God wants me to live, that the man of God may be uh, mature and completely furnished for every good work. It's everything God wants me to know about him. I have it all in print. Why? Because he's the one that spoke it. Now turn with me, if you would, please, to 2 Peter chapter 1. Again, you're very familiar with this, but in the book of 2 Peter chapter 1, it was given by inspiration of God. God's inspired. God breathed. It came from him. It's everything he wants us to know. We're in the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's pick it up, please, in, right in verse 21. Well, let's start in verse 19. <clears throat> now, this is Peter speaking, and he's letting... His readers know that he saw the Lord Jesus up on the mount. He heard the voice of God when he was up on the mount. He he saw the earthquake. He saw all of that business. And yet he tells his readers, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, unto which you do well that you take heed. So we have a more sure fixed word of prophecy, better than any sign miracle, better than any vision anyone might have. God has given us his written revelation in print. Now, print freezes thought. Do you ever have opportunity, maybe you're watching some kind of telecast of some kind, or who knows, whatever whatever it is, media that you happen to be looking at, and something goes by, wait a minute, wait a minute, what what was that? My wife and I, um, one, one time we were watching one of these mind shows, and it was talking about your, how you pay attention to things. And uh, we were watching the, the program, and, and one of the tests they had is, we want you to watch these basketball players and keep an eye on the ball. And so the, the basketball players came, and they were bouncing the ball back and forth to one another, and I was watching the ball, watching the ball. And here it is on my little TV screen, watching the ball, watching the ball. And pretty soon the guy said, what did you see? What did you see? I, I saw basketball players bouncing a ball. He replayed it, and he says, here's what I want you to see. While these guys were bouncing a ball, a gorilla walked through the midst of them. A gorilla. He walked right through the midst of them. And I think maybe there was a wave of some. I don't remember. But he walked out of the other side. Why? Because I was only concentrating on one thing. God's word gives us the full view of everything. Our minds, we concentrate on one thing. Maybe some kind of, you know, some kind of thing that's particular to us, but God gives us a vision of the whole business. It's all about him. Everything that is written is about him, and he wants us to know that he has given us that word, and he used men to pen that. Now look at what, back 
in verse 20. Knowing this verse, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. No one knows everything about God. It's not just, well, I have a secret. God spoke to me directly, and you don't know about it. We hear about people like that. We hear about people like that. Even today, I've heard about preachers. Some people come to me, well, my pastor said that he received something from the Lord that we don't know about. Oh, really? There's a problem there, is it not? He's crashing into this passage of Scripture. No prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation. There's nothing more to come from the Word of God. There's nothing else but the Word of God for you and I as Christians. We know God's Word. Why? Because it's truth and God has given it to us. It's not of any private interpretation. God has given us his word that we all might understand it. You say, well, I have a hard time. Then read more. So I don't completely get Read more. Why? Because God is going to uh, illuminate your thinking through his scriptures. He, that's a promise from God's word. However, verse 21 is what I'm looking for. For the prophecy came not at any time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved or literally carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is a passage you know very well. What does that mean exactly? Well, what it means to you and I is God inspired the writings, not the writer. He inspired the writings. Holy men of God spoke a a pen for us. How? As they were moved by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God directed them into what he wanted to say. So it's the writings that were inspired. You say, well, you know, Peter could have made a mistake. He made lots of mistakes. Yes, he could have if we were dependent on Peter, but we weren't. It was God that did it. I have an example of this. It's a silly example, but please bear with me for a moment. When my daughter Amy was just a baby, she wanted to write her name. And you can tell it was just a couple years ago. She's so pretty. But anyway, she wanted to write her name, so she didn't know how. She had not, even though just a couple years later, she was very equipped at it, but she wanted to write a name, so I, I took the pen and had it in her hand, and we wrote Amy. Now, who wrote her name? Was it Amy? Well, yes. Well, how do you know that? Well, because she had the pen in her hand. But who directed the, the writing? Well, it was me. And that's what God did with the writers of Scripture. Though they sat to communicate with the group, though they had mental cognizance of what they were going to write. God directed them into writing exactly what he wanted them to pen on the paper. And so we have the revealed truth of the word of God. God's penmen were used by God to write the scriptures for us. It's God's book. It's what he wanted us to know. It's not what men thought up. Well, there's errors in there because men wrote the Bible. Listen, folks, you know this. We are under an unprecedented attack of the Bible. It's never been like this in the history. There's always been attacks on the Bible, always, right from the beginning of time. Satan started it, didn't he? Yea, has God said. But we're under an unprecedented amount of time where universities, colleges, radios, televisions, everything that comes into your life attacks the word of God. Everything that comes into your life. I had some guys that I knew that went to the University of Massachusetts very wonderful Christian young men, and they said, Pastor, you would not believe it. Not only are people against the Bible, but they speak against it in the classroom. 
They purposely bring up the word of God and say, it's not true. You ought not to follow this. This is ridiculous. No, not in those words, in very sophisticated words. But that's what they're saying. You need not follow the Bible. Why? Because it was written by men. It's an ancient book, and it's irrelevant for our day. And I'm here to tell them it's the written word of God. It's settled in heaven. And they can deny it. They can go against it. They can say what they want. It's forever settled in heaven. It's God's appointed word. And so you and I need to recognize that. Why? Because it's, God has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. So this is what we need is his revealed truth. Now, so interesting is we believe in the plenary, the plenary verbal inspiration of the word of God. That is plenary all of it, verb, uh, verbal, every single word. Every single word and all of it is God, what God wanted us to know. Now, realize, whatever God has given us, he, he wants us to enjoy. He wants us to know. Is it, is it hard sometimes? Is it complicated sometimes? Yes. So God has given to us teachers for the word of God. Dr. Clark is one of those people. Uh, I try to expound the word of God. Oh, Sunday school teachers do the same thing. We break down the word of God, but you're supposed to have it in your lap so you can compare spiritual things with spiritual things. You're supposed to look at it. You're supposed to be like uh, the Bereans. They were more noble than those of Thessalonica and that they received the word with all readiness and then they searched the scriptures to see if that's so. So all of us are accountable to God. You say, well, it wasn't my fault. It was that teacher I had. No, it was your fault. You listened to him, but you should have checked it out. You should have looked at it to see if that's really God's truth. So we believe all the scriptures, including the Old Testament. Our Lord Jesus verified the Old Testament, for example, in the book of Mark. Turn with me to Mark chapter 12, please, for a moment. The Gospel of Mark. So God's word is settled in heaven, and our Lord Jesus Christ gave complete credibility to the Old Testament. Complete credibility to the Old Testament. We see that in Mark chapter 12. Look with me, please, at verse 36 for a moment. Our Lord Jesus is teaching in verse 35, and he says this. Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, how say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? And this was what they were saying. Well, uh, the Christ is coming, and he's going to be the son of David. They were looking for a human, uh, a human uh, savior that would deliver them from a bondage. Notice verse 36. And David himself said, now please notice this, by the Holy Spirit, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou here on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. So uh, David was giving credibility to the Lord saying to my Lord, that is, uh, the Lord was David's guide. The, Lord, the Holy Spirit was David's help in penning this. The Lord himself would be that son, that heir to the throne through the lineage of David. But recognize the credibility. Holy men of God spoke, Paul tells us, or Peter tells us, as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Our Lord Jesus said, David spoke by the Holy Spirit. The Psalms, the prophets, the writings, the history books, all of that is the revealed word of truth. It's the written word of God. So our Lord Jesus Christ gave credibility to the entire scripture that we have before us. And it's settled in heaven. Please, if I can have you leave here with that one thought, thought God's word is forever settled in heaven. 
It doesn't matter what men say. It doesn't matter what men do. It doesn't matter how trendy they become and what they do with the word of God. It's settled in God's mind. It's settled in heaven forever, forever. And one day, we're going to appear before the Lord, and he's going to ask you about his word. I, you know, I, I wanted to memorize the books of the Bible, but it's just too hard. How many numbers do you have in your brain? How many numbers you're floating around? out there. You know, the, your telephone number, there's even those anymore. And, um, you know, this number, that number, and your house number, and your social security number, and numbers, 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 numbers. Why? Because they mean something to you. Well, if God's word meant something to you, you wouldn't have a problem, right? It's forever settled in heaven. That's what God wants us to know. Uh, turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 5. This is so interesting. Our Lord Jesus Christ is speaking. In Matthew chapter 5, and he makes this incredible, incredible statement. Look with me, please, at uh, Matthew chapter 5 and in verse 18. Look at verse 17. We'll back up just a minute. Think not, Jesus said, Matthew 5, 17. Think not, I am come to destroy the law. I didn't come to nullify the law, the Lord Jesus is saying to his Jewish disciples and to the Pharisees and Sadducees and the the other Jews gathered around. I've not come to destroy the Old Testament law. That's what they were accusing him of. He said, I am not come to destroy the law uh, or the prophets. I I am not come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. So he was there to show the truth of the word of God, how the Old Testament played out, worked out, and Messiah had come. He was promised to come, and he had come. But notice in verse 18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no way pass from all the law till all be fulfilled. You know, you know what that means in, in a nutshell? Everything God said will happen, will happen. Everything. He said he created the world, and he did. Genesis. <coughs> he said he'll destroy the world, and he will. From cover to cover, God's word is absolutely true. It's settled in heaven, and it's going to happen. Jesus said one jot. Now, it's interesting. The the jot is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And then he said a tittle is the smallest part of a letter. So we would tell kids, don't forget to dot your I. Jot the I, dot the tittle on top of the I. Make sure you... Uh, every, every part of God's word will be completely fulfilled. Why? Because what he said he meant and what he meant he said. Now, again, the Bible's under complete attack. Oh, well, was there really a flood? Yes. How do you know? God said so. God's word is evident. Now, are there evidences around there to show a flood? Yes. <clears throat> Great place, places like the Creation Research Society and, and people like that, they can show us very, very wonderfully how there was a noetic flood. However, if they had not written that, I don't care, because God said so. I believe God's word is true. And I don't need verification of God's word. I just need to follow God's word. He said it. It is written. It's true. Not only that, it's powerful. It works in me. Let's turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4 for a moment. It's powerful. Hebrews chapter 4. We need to recognize that God's word is inspired of God. It's given by God. It's settled in heaven. And God 
God's word is powerful. He'll use his word. That's a wonderful thing. So that when, when I'm up here teaching and some of you are sleeping, I understand you had a rough night. I get it. It wasn't because of television or whatever it was. It was because you had a rough night. But some of you are sleeping, and I might get discouraged. I'm just going to close in prayer. No, when you give God's word, it works. God's word always works. And so a, a pastor could get discouraged. You could get discouraged when you talk to someone about the Lord, and they reject it, and, and, and they don't want anything to do with it, and you think, well, that's it. I, yeah. what, what are we going to do? You don't have to do anything. You gave him God's word, and it always works. Hebrews chapter 4. Look at verse 12, please. Verse 12. For the word of God, God's word, it's living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even asunder, dividing of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word drives deep. It's like a, a machaira, like a, a very sharp dagger that you can just plunge it into something, and it will go right to the end, right to the hilt. <clears throat> In this case, spiritually, it will affect the entire being of a person. You say, well, I talked to someone about the Lord Jesus. They rejected, and they don't have anything to do with God, and they haven't for years and years. No, but God isn't done with them yet. They could gloriously one day come to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, or they could stand before the judge, having known and heard what he said. But God's word always works because it's always settled in heaven. It's living. It's powerful. The word powerful, dunamis, it's explosive. God's word explodes. It exploded in my heart. I was a filthy heathen, and God took me from that heathen position to being saved by his grace into the ministry. We have have a a brother, uh, uh, Bill Michaud. He's in Papua New Guinea. He's working among tribal savages and giving them the word of God. It works there. It works here. It works everywhere. Why? Because it's his word. It's powerful. Not only that, it has abundant authority. Turn with me to John chapter 12 for a moment. It has abundant authority in that God's word (coughs) carries the very message of God. In John chapter 12, Our Lord Jesus is speaking. Look at, please, in verse 49 of John chapter 12. Actually, back up, again, just to get a little flavor of the context, verse 47. The Lord Jesus is speaking. He says, if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I am not come to judge the world, but to save the world. So on our, our Lord Jesus, on his first journey, if you would, to earth, he came and took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. And his mission, his job, his uh, description was to spread light into the world. He came to give the glorious truth of the word of God, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, we know it as. As he did that, however, his word had a place. Notice in verse uh, 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 47. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. I'm not come at this time to judge. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejects me and receives not my words has one that judges him. Even the word that I have spoken will judge him 
in the last day. You see, God's word's going to work. He'll either believe it unto salvation or, or reject it unto damnation, but it's settled in heaven. He didn't come to judge the first time, but when he comes, he's coming in judgment the second time. When he comes to earth, he's coming in full judgment the second time. Why? Because he said it, it's settled in heaven, and nothing's going to change it. It's the revealed word of truth. It's the word of God. And it works, doesn't it? Turn with me to Isaiah, please, the Old Testament book of Isaiah. I'm glad there's chapter divisions, aren't you? Isaiah chapter 55 for a moment. Isaiah 55. Beautiful section of the book of Isaiah. 66 chapters Isaiah has divided up for us. In Isaiah chapter uh, 55, look at verse 6 for a moment, please. God speaking to his nation of Israel, he says this in verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and, and I, he will have mercy on him and, uh, and our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So come, draw back, Israel, draw back to the Lord. They were, remember the, the northern tribes, they were entered into great apostasy under uh, Ahab. Verse 8, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Verse 10. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not there again, but it waters the earth and it makes it bring forth a bud that you may receive seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So you get the picture? Just as, just as the rain comes down, the snow comes down and waters the ground so that seeds may grow. Verse 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto you send it. So God says his word will always work. It it, it may not work the way I want it to work. It may not always bring the fruit I'm looking for. It may not always accomplish what I'm interested in, but it will accomplish exactly what God wants. Why? Because it's settled in heaven. And I want to tell you, when God speaks, things happen. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God said, let the cattle of the earth. God said, let the beasts of the field. God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly. When God says things, things happen. He created it, the Psalms tell us, by his spoken mouth, by the word of his power. He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood still. Why? Because he's God. You know what's even better for us to know? It's forever settled in heaven. Not better, but you understand what I'm saying. It's settled in heaven. God isn't going to retract that. I've had occasion where I've had to retract some things from people. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it that way. I, I'm sorry, if I, if, I, if I only knew better, I wouldn't have said it that way. I've had to do that. Probably still have to at times. But God never has to retract anything. He doesn't have to say it another way. There's no better way to say it. Why? Because he said it, and it's forever settled in heaven with him. It's fixed. It's fixed. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. 
When God speaks, things happen. Hebrews 11. Look at verse 3, please. By faith, God tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen are not made of things which do appear. When God created, he, he spoke everything into existence. He didn't start off with a big rock and then kind of fooled around with it and planted an amoeba on it till it got together with another amoeba and produced a child amoeba and all this stuff. He didn't do that. He spoke everything we know into existence. All animal kind, all fish kind, nothing, nothing is, is evolving uh, the way uh, man thinks today. Uh, there's ad- adaptations for sure, but everything that was made was made by God by his spoken word from nothing. Bara, he spoke it into existence. We recognize that God's word is powerful. When he speaks, things happen. And he has spoken to us, and things are happening. We can use the revealed word of truth. I've heard, uh, I've heard some men say at times, let me say it a better way. Listen, you really messed that up. Maybe you ought to stick with what's written. <laughs> you can't say it better. Can you clarify some things by using other passages? Yes. But you cannot say it better than God said it. Because he spoke, and it's settled in heaven. Not only that, his work is a rock, it's a foundation. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. It's a foundation. It's what I need. It's what I need to settle upon. Remember, his word is an anchor of the soul, Hebrews tells us. Now, back in in the book of uh, Ephesians chapter 2, we read about God letting us know that as he gave his spoken word, inspired word to the apostles slash prophets, they penned it for us. We're in Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and sojourners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, Jew, Gentile, one in Christ. God has a plan here. And how are you built? You're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We're built on the foundation. Our foundation is the word of God. It's the root that holds us. It's the anchor that secures us. It's settled in heaven. We don't need to be concerned about changing times or people. None of that matters. What we know is God's word is true. And when I read it, I can rely upon as much as a Paul could or a David could or a Moses could. I can rely upon it. Why? Because it's God's word <coughs> ever revealed for us. It's a rock. Turn with me to Luke for a moment. Luke chapter uh, 6. Luke six forty six. Our Lord Jesus is speaking, and he says something very, very interesting to his disciples. We're in Luke chapter 6. Notice, please, in verse 46. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not the things which I say. That's an interesting question. Can I? I can't phrase it better, okay? I just said that. I want to be careful. Can I ask a question along with that? Why do you call him Lord and not read the things which he says? I'm not accusing anyone. I don't know if you read your Bible or not. But why would you call him Lord and not read what he says? Isn't isn't it necessary? (laughs) Isn't it what you need? 
Or would you rather go on what you think? How's that working out for you, Pastor Rob says? <laughs> we know, we know God's word is what is to move us. Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? For whosoever cometh to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man who uh, builds his house and dug a deep and laid it on the foundation. And when the flood arose and streams beat vehemently upon the house, it could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. I was part of the built, great building boom that took place in Burlington, Massachusetts, back in the 70s. I wasn't part of it. I just observed it. And they put up factory after factory, building after building. Uh, why, for, for industry, that's where the Apollo project was and all, all the electrical projects. The electrical highway of the world, Route 128. Most, most, a lot of those buildings had to be torn down. Their foundations weren't secure. They built them so fast and filled in so much land, and they became so weak that they began to cave in, and they had to be abandoned and torn down. An interesting, interesting um, event. So when you build, make sure you're building on the rock. Now, he's talking about his word, right? He's talking about what he says. He's talking about a man that looks to his word, believes his word, and does his word. He's the man that builds. But the man that is a foolish man, pick it up, please, in verse uh, 49. But he that heareth and doeth not, meaning the word of God, that man is like a man who built his house uh, upon the earth, against which a stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and great was the ruin of that house. God wants us building our lives upon his word, his fixed word, his foundational word. The Lord Jesus being the cornerstone, everything is aligned, everything is square, everything is straight, everything is plumb. Why? Because it's all upon him and his word. God's word works. God's word is the source of life. Remember, on, <coughs> upon being questioned, he spoke the words of truth in John chapter 6, and many of his disciples left him. You can just picture, most of his audience got up and just took off. They didn't want any more from him. Why? Because his word was hard. And Jesus said to his disciples, will you go away also? And Peter said, where can we go? Only you have the words of spirit and life. Where can we go? You can go no place, no place else but to the word of God to receive the word of spirit and truth. It's fixed upon him. It's forever settled in heaven. Okay, if you go with me to Ephesians chapter 6 for a moment, Ephesians chapter 6. You say, well, I, I want to know God's word. Okay, then. How can I do that? Well, the spirit of God will give us his illumination. Now, the Spirit does not give out new revelation. There's nothing new. Everything God has said is in this book. It's settled in heaven. It's forever settled in heaven. There's no new revelation, but the Bible tells us the Spirit of God will give us illumination. You see that in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. That is, he'll open the eyes of your understanding concerning the spiritual wisdom. Unsaved people can't do that. They can know and understand the gospel that Christ died for them, but true spiritual truth beyond the gospel they cannot understand. Why? They don't have the blessed spirit of God who illumines their heart and their minds, their eyes. Ephesians chapter 6, I'd like you to look at verse 17 with me. God lets us know that spirit, that word, 
that God gives us in Ephesians chapter 6, and look at verse 17, that word is the sword of the Spirit. The Spirit of God uses his word, uses God's word in verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the Spirit, that's the, the word of God is God's spirit sword. He's able to pierce with it. You want to tell someone about the Lord Jesus Christ, give them the word. Don't try to explain it. Don't try, try to explain it. I mean, obviously, there's some of that involved, but that's so minute. God's word always works. You can mess it up. This word always works. But I can, I can ruin it. How? By my, my, my own intervention in it. Give people the word of God. Can I, can I say this to you? You're not always going to have a Bible with you, so what do you have to do? Oh, horror of horrors. Memorize it. Memorize it. Because when, when it's time, God isn't always going to say, well, I'll wait to bring someone into your life till you have a Bible with you. People come into our lives daily, and you may not be sitting there. They might be cutting your hair or, or whatever. And, and if you have God's word hidden in your heart, you can, you can just let it flow out of you to them. It's kind of scary when uh, someone's behind you with scissors and you're telling them about Christ. But, but you still should do it. I mean, but, <clears throat> and we won't laugh at you when you get here on Sunday, believe me. Okay, let's continue on now, please. God's word, the Bible tells us God's word is truth. It's truth. It's absolutely true. It's, it's complete in all its aspect and essence. It's, it's his divine word, and every word of God is pure. Every word of God is true. Turn with me to John 17. Again, passages you know very, very well. John chapter 17. God's word is true. He has given it to us. It's the truth. I need not fear. I, I have a book. I want to read a little bit of it to you tonight. It was given to me about um, why... Uh, why uh, Alexander the Great did not attack Jerusalem. Now, if you want to know what that's about, you have to come tonight. But why didn't Alexander the Great attack at Jerusalem? And, and, and we have a quote, and I have these books in my office, uh, from uh, Flavius Josephus, or Josephus Flavius, a historian, who wrote why, why Alexander the Great did not uh, attack Jerusalem. Well, it's good, and I enjoy it, and I'm going to read it, and, and it could be true. However, I don't know that it is. I don't know that it was. Why? Those are the words of Josephus. I can't trust that. I'm not exactly sure if, if that is truth. But I can always say this is truth. It's settled in heaven. It's fixed in heaven. It's God's word. It's true. It's there. It's there for me to know. It's there for me to understand. It's for, there for me to do. Don't be a hearer of the word only, but be a doer of the word. Why? Because you're only deceiving your own self if you think, I'm okay. No, you're not. You've got to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. God fixes us on that. Notice what the Lord Jesus said. John chapter 17, look at verse 17. <clears throat> the Lord speaking in his high priestly prayer, he says this, Sanctify them, set them apart, Father, through thy truth. Thy word is truth. It's forever, forever fixed. It's forever settled in heaven. We're out of time. Turn with me, please, one last passage. Head with me to Proverbs chapter 23. 
The first time I heard this verse, it was like a is it cold water on me. It's like a, let's say, a slap in the face. It just affected my soul, and I trust that it will do the same with you. Look at verse 23 of, of Proverbs chapter 23. Buy the truth and sell it not. Buy the truth and sell it not. What is he talking about the truth there? That's the truth of the word of God. Buy the truth and sell it not. No matter what the world says or no matter what the world does or no matter what the world loves or no matter how trendy it may be, if it's contrary to the word of God, you ought not to do it. Just say within your own soul, sorry, it's not for sale. God's truth is not for sale. But everyone's doing it. It doesn't matter. If it's contrary to the word of God, buy the truth and sell it not. It's not for sale. If your family or or your friends or co-workers or relatives, if they want you to do something contrary to the word of God, just say within your own soul, sorry, it's not for sale. It's not for sale. When you buy the truth... It's not for sale. It's the living word of God. It's forever settled in heaven. It's everything God wants us to know about, everything to know about him and his purposes. It's the living word of God. It's not for sale. Some people sell it. Some people capitulate. They give in to the world. They dive into society. God warns us about it. It will draw you away. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Why, he sold out. He sold out. Don't be a sellout. Why? Because it's forever settled in heaven. Let's pray. Father, your word is settled. And though I may not have done the complete justice to it, we could have in this time period, Lord, we recognize It's not my words, but your word that matters. And sufficient evidence has been given to understand it's the word of truth. It's the word that works. It's the the hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. It's the flame that melts the candle. It's the truth of God. It's it's been preserved for us. and, And your word is that dynamic ability to work within our soul. Father, I pray for... Perhaps someone here this morning who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Help them to realize, Lord. Give them clarity of heart and mind that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We thank you for that truth. But we also continue. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed the word of truth. Father, we know that's settled in heaven, that all who believe will come to Christ in glory, and all those who reject will spend eternity in eternal damnation and hellfire. Father, these are sobering words. They're written for us to understand. They're written for us to to implement into our lives. They're written for us to be doers of that word, and not hearers only deceiving our own selves. Help us, Lord, not to be like the foolish man that looks in a mirror and and sees a a spot or sees a, a problem and then turns away and doesn't correct it. Help us to look within the mirror of the word of God and then
then to correct that which needs correction and to be encouraged by that that encourages us and to, to be doers of that which implement us to serve you. Thank you for this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.